0: Um, that this year we really feel God's spoken to us and to to focus in on prayer and that he's called us uh, to to want to grow in prayer and to give ourselves um, in prayer to him. And, you know, we've been teaching into that, which is fantastic and looking at that in different ways and um, really hope that that's an encouragement to you. And just more than anything, though, that you're engaging with it and that that you're finding time in the week and you're choosing to pray and that you're using the resources and things which are there and just encourage you to, to keep going with that. But I'm really aware that prayer looks different for all of us. And so while I can teach of it and while I can share my experience, I also wanted to create spaces for different people to come and share their experiences so that they, you can learn from one another and so that you can see how God's at work in each other's lives. So I'm going to ask Philip to come and, um, and share with us today, um, which is, is brilliant. So um, we love Philip and um, really yeah, love your heart. I know you've got a real heart for prayer. So uh, Philip, why don't you just share with us what, a little bit what prayer
1: looks like for you kind of day to day. Okay, um, I'll do my best. Um, As some of you know, the last year has been (coughs) quite tough for Kathy and I. We've had a lot of sickness. And uh, Pete, thanks for putting a prayer request out last night. Um, I'm standing here this morning. I think a lot to do with people praying for me um, since that prayer request went out. I have felt a bit better this morning. So I praise God for that. Um, I've written a few notes as I was praying this morning what to share so I don't ramble on too much. Uh, Prayer for me... Uh, it's basically spending time with our Heavenly Father and just drawing close to him, becoming God-centered rather than self-centered. And years ago, I used to have lists of things that I used to present to God each day, and um, I think that is a, a way some of us start in prayer, but I think God wants us to be more communicative with him two-way. And uh, you know, those of you who've got children, if your kids only come to you when they want something... And don't ever express any thankfulness (laughs) or acknowledge you in other ways. After a while, your heart will go cold and you won't be that sort of warmly disposed to answering their requests. And it's a bit like our Heavenly Father. We can come to him with our requests, but I feel he wants us to thank him and praise him. And that is the way he's laid down in Scripture. In Psalm 100, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And I appreciate many of us go through difficult times when we're really struggling. You know, we may have gone through a divorce. Someone close to us may have been killed unexpectedly. You know, we all have real crises to work through. And that makes our heart go a bit inward. And it's at those times we really have to press in and say, Lord, I know you are good. And being thankful is a way of acknowledging God's goodness. He's essentially good. And praise the other thing we need to do is to acknowledge how great he is when we grasp how massive huge he is our God created the whole universe any particular problem we have is a small thing for him and so praising him is acknowledging him that he is great enough for any problem we have so I think that's Brilliant! No, Ascension. it's great. That okay? um,
0: yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you, Philip. And I know um, you mentioned an email, and we've chatted at different times. That we, you've got all sorts of different stories, but you mentioned an email um, one particular time uh, where you did come to God with that kind of sense of asking, um, and um, and just a story of how He came through and met your needs. So, can you
1: just share that with us? Yeah. Okay. Well, some of you may have heard this story um, that I've shared many times. Um, in my 30s, I ended up uh, buying a a very large run-down property, and it was, hadn't had any repairs done for years and years. Water was coming through the roof, plaster was hanging off, and at the back of the house, there was a huge retaining wall uh, made of um, rough stone, Victorian, and it was all falling down, and it was holding the back garden up. It was about 15 foot high, and it was massive. I mean, if it had collapsed, it would have been a major engineering um, task to put it back up, costing probably hundreds of thousands, and which I didn't have. So I started praying about this problem over uh, several weeks. And one day, this gift of faith came on me. and, And Jesus taught, you know, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe and it shall be yours. And sometimes we struggle to believe something. Well, this day, I had this gift of faith and I went up to this wall. I laid hands on it. And I said, Father, please fuse together all the molecules in this wall so it will never collapse in Jesus' name. And I felt the power of God go through me. And I knew God had answered my prayer. And, and some of you might have an issue with this, but you know, God's first miracle that Jesus did was turning water into wine. So he is you know, interested in doing miracles of physical things like that. Anyway, about five years later, I had builders in to knock a section of this wall down (laughs) to build a a kitchen extension. And a mini digger arrived first thing in the morning and he started attacking this wall with the front bucket. And mid-morning he came to me and he said, Philip, I've never known a wall like this. It's it's as though it's built of cast iron or steel. We cannot shift it. (laughs) And so I came down and I said, Father please bring this section of the wall down now in Jesus' name. And he started up the digger again, swung the front shovel, as he'd done all morning, to hit the wall, and this section that we wanted down came down in a heap of rubble. And the builders all just sort of opened their mouths in, in amazement. And more recently, about a week or two ago, I had James <laughs> over uh, to <coughs> uh, take down um, uh, a concrete block wall that uh, had been blocking an entranceway for many years it was built the breeze blocked and it was quite solid and in a, having had this miracle I've got faith in this realm <laughs> so t- twice I went up to this wall I said father we want this section of wall down to come down and please soften the mortar I thought well, if he can harden the mortar he can soften it so anyway, James came <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago with his pneumatic drill and everything, but he thought he'd have a go anyway with a hammer to start with, and he just hit the first block, and it just came out, and the whole wall came down in about under 10 minutes, didn't it, James? Uh, wow. So, you know, we give glory to God. So <laughs> that's my testimony.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. And then... Uh, yeah. Um, so one last question. Um, great to hear big success stories. Are there ways that you find prayer a challenge?
1: Yeah, I think challenges come um, when things happen that um, you know, make us sort of in pain, in disappointed. Um, we really struggle. And I think that the area of the mind is the biggest battleground. Um, one proverb that's really helped me over the years, Proverbs 3, chap- I think verse... Um, but four, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And, yeah. and I think sometimes our minds, we, we like to work things out. But God's ways, it says in the Bible, are higher than our ways, yeah. beyond our understanding. And so many things happen in life that really um, cause us to doubt God. And we just have to choose not to. And a prayer that I've used over the years is, uh, Father, I don't understand, but I trust you anyway. Yeah. That, that prayer's got me out of many a tight fix where I've, I've moved into unbelief and fear. And I just say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. I, Father, I'm going to trust you anyway. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so that's, that's, I think, one of the main challenges. I could men- mention oh, many brilliant. more, but I don't want to take you. over too much.
0: Thank you so much, Philip. Let's give Philip a round of applause. Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, it's great isn't it just to be able to hear stories and hear of God's goodness and learn from one another and be inspired by one another um, in prayer why don't we pray now Heavenly Father we want to thank you we want to thank you Lord for for the truth of, of what Philip just said that Lord in those times when we don't understand we can still trust you knowing that you are good knowing that you love us knowing that your ways are higher than our ways. Jesus, we want to thank you for for the fact that you invite us to come to you in prayer, to have a relationship with you. And we pray that right now that you would be the one speaking to us by your spirit, that you would encourage, that you would stir up, that you would teach us how to pray, that we would grow in our relationship with you, that we would be shaped to become more like you, that we would play our part to see your power released into this world, and your will and purpose come about in Jesus name amen amen fantastic so I, I love hearing um, hearing stories like Philips and they 're great encouragements and stir us in faith aren 't they, um, which is superb and you know. We all have different experiences when it comes to prayer, and um, you know every single one of us, I imagine, has some kind of experience when it comes to prayer. Even um, if our experience is is limited to something as as simple as that cry for help to someone or something out there, you know, in some way or another, we've all experienced some kind of prayer. And 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 really, it's that kind of prayer, that cry for help kind of of prayer, that I, I want to talk about uh, more today, because you know Jesus teaches us that in prayer that we are coming as God's children to our Heavenly Father and that we can ask Him for things. In fact, He teaches us not only that we can, but that God loves it when we ask Him for things. You know, He teaches us first to remember who it is that we're talking to, to, to to praise God and to honor Him, to, to set our perspective right about who He is and how great He is, to put Him on the throne in our lives, and to submit to Him and to to pray that prayer, not my will but Your will, not my agenda and what I want, but but your, what You want. And then He teaches us to ask God for what we need. And and sometimes I've met different people and they they say I I, I don't I don't like to ask God for things. You know, I, don't, I feel like I've got everything that I need, and I'm, I'm content, and I'm really blessed, and so I don't like to ask God for things. Or maybe, you know, it's okay to ask God for, for things for other people, but I don't like to ask God for things for myself because that just seems a bit selfish. But Jesus teaches us that God wants us to ask him for things. And all through the Bible, we're promised that God responds when we ask him for things. We're we're, we're promised that that he acts as a result of our prayers. In fact, of all the different aspects of prayer, I think asking is the one that is talked about more than any other in the Bible. That's what Jesus teaches about more than anything else when it comes to, to prayer. And so I want to unpack different things that, about what, what it, it looks like and, and how we go about asking God for things. But this is a huge kind of topic. This is a huge part of prayer. And so I'm, I'm not going to try and talk about all of it today. We're going to talk about it over a, a number of different weeks. And one of the things, though, that I think that can cause us to wrestle with, with asking God for things in prayer and can can actually sometimes cause us to to be frustrated and can cause us to, to almost be disillusioned of our own experiences of prayer when we've asked God for things and nothing seems to have happened. Nothing seems to have, have changed. And, and, and often we don't like to say that and we don't put that into to words because we feel like that kind of makes us look bad or that we're, we're not being faithful But I think Jesus understands it and I think he gets it. In fact, when the disciples ask Jesus to teach us to pray, after he's gone through the initial bit of kind of giving them this kind of guideline of, of how to pray, this is exactly what Jesus starts to speak into. He is real and he is honest with us that prayer can be hard. And that sometimes we might wonder what's the point. And we might feel like giving up. And I think that's good news for us because that means that at the times when we feel like that, we don't need to beat ourselves up and feel like we're some kind of, we're getting it wrong somehow, or we're some kind of second class Christians, or we're not being very good people of faith. Because Jesus understands that these are natural questions that we wrestle with when we ask Him for things. And so he tells us this story in Luke 11, starting in verse 5. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, in the culture of Jesus' day, hospitality was, was huge. And, and so, If somebody came to your house, the expectation would be that you would put them up and that you would feed them. But it's midnight and they don't have such things as 24-hour Asdas or anything like that back then. And so, so this guy is stuck. And so he goes to his neighbor and he asks for help. And then Jesus says, I suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, you've got to picture the scene here because immediately we think that's pretty rude. But you've got to picture the scene. The neighbor's house would have been just one room that he shared with, with all of his family. And there's no electricity. It's midnight, which in that day when you tended to go to bed when the sun went down meant it really was the middle of the night and not just an hour after you've settled And the only way I think we can try and begin to put ourselves in these shoes, the, the only experience we have close to this is if you've ever been on a family camping trip and you've all had to kind of share one space. You've not got those you know six different pods around the place. You're all in that one place. And by the time you've got everybody tucked into their different sleeping bags and you've managed to kind of settle down there, if your bladder makes you want to get up in the night... You battle it with everything that you have because you know that getting up in the middle of the night means that you're going to stumble over all of the bodies of the rest of your family members. You're going to turn the lights on and wake everybody up and it's going to be a nightmare. You know, that's what the guy is going through. And not only that, but his neighbor is taking the mick. Because one loaf would be enough to feed a friend who comes in the middle of the night, wouldn't it? But he doesn't ask for one, he asks for three. So you have a little bit more sympathy with the way that the guy responds when he turns up it this way in the middle of the night, taking the milk, being greedy. And then Jesus says this: "I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need." The guy in the house will give him the food, not out of a sense of love or compassion, but because of his boldness and persistence in asking. Then Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And Jesus seems to be hammering this point home, doesn't he? Ask, seek, knock, don't give up, be persistent, keep going. And I think because Jesus knows that this is going to be an issue for us in prayer, we're going to have questions, we're going to wrestle with why don't things don't happen. There are going to be times when we feel like giving up. He also tells this story a little later in Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. What is Jesus trying to teach us about prayer through these stories? Stories of people in need coming to someone who has the power to help and yet refuses to until eventually they're worn down and given. And sometimes I think people can end up thinking, okay, Prayer must be about me having to try and, and wear God down and twist his arm and persuade him to help. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is trying to do is to make a contrast. And he's trying to, to show us how naturally in life, if we've got something that we need and someone else has the thing that we need and is, it has the power to be able to help us and they're the only person who can, the most natural thing that we will do is that we will persist and we will keep knocking and we will keep asking and we won't give up because we need what it is that they have and they're the only one who can help us and so we're not going away until we get it. And so Jesus says, if an unjust judge or a grumpy neighbor will help you because of your persistent asking, how much more will your heavenly father who loves you and cares for you And if that's the case, how much more should we keep asking and keep going and persisting in prayer and not give up? If we're willing to persist with someone whose heart is against us, why on earth won't we persist with someone whose heart is for us? This is why Jesus finishes the teaching in Luke 11 with a reminder of God's character and his heart for us when he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Or in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 7, it says, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So as Jesus teaches us to pray, when it comes to asking God for things, in in these verses, I think there are uh, four key lessons that I want to try and draw out from them. The first one is that Jesus teaches us to pray desperately. You know, both of the characters in these stories were desperate. They knew that they couldn't fix things themselves and that the only hope that they had was what this other person could do for them. And that's what drove them to persist. Now, one of the things that I think can hold us back in prayer, hold us back in asking God for things, is that we don't really realize just how much we need Him. We're not desperate. We often feel like, well, God's an option, and if, and if He doesn't do it, then I've got these different ways I can try and go about things to fix things myself. But this kind of attitude is dangerous because God teaches us that apart from him, we can do nothing. In a book called um, The Praying Life, a chap called Paul Miller writes this. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy to pray. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time. I don't know about you, but that's challenging, isn't it? And the answer to this, I don't think it's just about being more self-disciplined and carving out and making that time. And that's not a bad thing to do, and I'd encourage you to do it, and we could all do with growing in self-discipline. But the answer, I believe, is about a transformation of the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see the world, and the way that we see God. Because as we get a transformation of that, we realize how reliant on God we are. How He is the only one who has what we need, the only one who can help us. How weak we are how broken the world is. And so naturally, prayer becomes a priority. You know, what prayer looks like for you, what that looks like, how you go about it, whether that's carving out this big chunk of time in the morning and and spending it with Him, whether it's um, walking in creation and, and praying as you go, or whether it's little chunks all through the day, that doesn't really matter. What is important is the inner transformation so that you and I know how desperately we need God. Second lesson that Jesus teaches us is to pray boldly. Jesus describes the friend who asks for bread, and I love this description, as as someone with shameless audacity. Anyone ever described you that way? You know, if, if, if someone listened to my prayers, I'm not sure how often they would say I had shameless audacity. You know, but that boldness in the request, that, that shamelessness in the way that, that he comes to a grumpy name, what he's saying is if, if he can have that boldness going to someone who is against him, How much more boldness, how much more shameless audacity should we be able to have as children coming to our Heavenly Father? Who loves us, who cares for us, who wants to bless us. And when we pray, we don't have to try and kind of wake him up like he has to wake up his neighbor and get him to pay attention to us. God is attentive to our needs. He's already there. He's listening. He cares. He knows what we need before we even ask him for it. But he's longing for us to ask, and when we understand that, it means that we can begin to pray boldly. You know, if I um, bumped into one of you in Asda, and as I do periodically, you know, everyone's in Asda at some point, aren't they? You know, if I bumped into one of you in Asda, then and um, you just kind of randomly said, uh, "Pete, would you, will you buy me a packet of Haribo or um, or some sweets or, or chocolate?" I have to be honest with you, I would find that a little bit weird. (laughs) And I think you would know it was a little bit weird, and so you would ask me awkwardly, wouldn't you? But if I am going through Asda and I've got Annabelle or one of the boys with me, and and they ask me, and they say, Dad, can we have a tub of ice cream, or, or can we get some sweets or some chocolate? They ask boldly. And they might ask with a cheeky smile on their face because they know they're pushing it. (laughs) But they ask boldly because they know that I love them. They know that my heart is for them. And they know that I want to give them good things. God wants us to approach him in prayer boldly. Knowing that we come as children to our heavenly father. And we can have a cheeky smile on our face knowing that we might be pushing it. But don't hold back and asking. Because our Father's heart is to give us good things. Do you know, God is not offended by your bold prayers. I believe he loves them. Because bold prayers honor him. When we pray bold prayers of shameless audacity, we're coming to God saying, God, I know you have this. I know you can do it. I know you're big and powerful. I know your heart is for me and you love me. And he loves it because it honors him. It makes him big. It lifts him up. If when we pray, we kind of hold back and we pray safe prayers, asking God to do things that really, if we're honest, we could probably manage to get through on our own. I think that's a lot more, we're in a lot more risk then of dishonoring God in the way that we pray. Jesus is teaching us to pray, pray bold, big, shameless prayers, knowing that God is big and that He is for us and that He is extravagant in His love. The third thing that Jesus teaches us is that we are to pray persistently. Jesus says at the start of Luke 18 that the whole reason he tells this parable, the whole point of why he takes time to do this is so that we would always pray and not give up. And we see examples of this in the Bible of people who just keep on praying. You know, with um, Acts 11, we read about Peter in prison, and it talks about how the church prays all night long for him to be released. They don't just pray a prayer and then kind of sit back and wait and say, God, it's in your hands now. You know, or we, we can read about it with, with Paul, where he talks about this thorn in the flesh in, in, uh, in Corinthians. And, you know, he asked God so many times that God would take this thorn away, that in the end, God turns up and says, Paul, give it a rest. I, I, I'm at work in the midst of this. I've got a greater plan. And again, I think God loves it when we ask him persistently because we keep coming back to him and it honors him because we know he's the only one we can look to. We're not going anywhere else. He's our hope. He's the one that we need. We're confident in him. And so it honors God when you keep on asking. So don't hold back just because you've you've prayed once and and nothing's happened. And so you're trying to be a person of faith and and say, I don't want to, I'm just trusting you in it, God. Keep asking. Be bold and be persistent because it honors him when you are. You know, so often in my own life, when I've prayed about things and I've asked God for things, the the provision or the action hasn't come immediately. In fact, it's often come when I feel like it's almost too late. You know, he often leaves us waiting until what seems like the last second. And we see this in the Bible as well. Look at, at Daniel in the lion's den. He's a man who's devoted to prayer and yet he's, he's not spared from being arrested. He's not spared from being convicted. It's at the moment when everybody looking on would say it's too late now, that that's when God acts. I love the uh, the story about George Muller and uh, he writes this himself and um, in a book that he wrote on prayer and he, and he talks about how he committed to pray for five young men by name that they would, um, would be saved, that they would come to know Jesus for themselves. And, and he, he kind of journeys how he goes with this. And 18 months later, he's prayed every day. His commitment is, I'm going to pray every day for these men. 18 months later, the first one gives their lives to Jesus. Another six, no, five years after that, the second one. And another six years after that, The third one. Um, And he he writes after the the first one. and um, I thanked God. So he honors, he thanks God, he recognizes from him. And I pressed on. I kept going, I persisted. 36 years later. And he's still praying every day for the last two. And they're still not saved. And he writes this. But I hope in God. I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. I love that. He prayed for these men every day of his life for 52 years. And in his lifetime, he never saw them give their lives to Jesus. And for those looking on, it seemed like it was too late. But a few months after his funeral, both of them surrendered to Jesus and came to faith in him. Now, if you have people that you are praying for that you long to see come to know Jesus, don't give up. Keep going. Persist in prayer. We might not see the answers to prayer straight away. But Jesus teaches us to keep on asking. But there are challenges with that too, aren't there? Because I can't always make sense of and explain to you why with some prayers God doesn't answer them immediately. You know, as Philip was talking about it earlier, we don't understand always. And it's hard. Why it is that he, he, he teaches us and wants us to be persistent if it's what he wants to do for us, why doesn't he just do it straight away? And that time in waiting can be hard and it leads us to wrestle with questions. Questions that we all face when we feel like our prayer is is just ongoingly unanswered. I say, this is a whole huge thing, and so I want to, this is an area, I kind of want to almost park it and say, we're going to come back here, I'm, I'm recognizing it, it's an issue, we wrestle with it, we need to talk about it and be honest. But I can't talk about it all today. Ultimately though, Jesus is teaching us not only to pray persistently, but to pray trustingly. You know, one of the key things that Jesus is trying to do in these stories is he, as he teaches about prayer is to challenge the idea that God is like a grumpy neighbor, an unjust judge, and you've got to twist his arm. That he's reluctant to help us. That's why he finishes the teaching in, in Luke 11 by talking about, about God as our good heavenly father who longs to give his children good things. He's Jesus wants us to, to know and have such a confidence in the character of God. And I think that's why it's so important, as, as Philip was talking about, as Jesus teaches us that in prayer, we, we don't neglect and we hone in on and we focus and we take time to praise God and to honor him, to lift him up, to surrender and to submit to him. Because when we do that, it shapes our perspective and it reminds us of the character of God. And it means that as we face situations that are hard, as we ask God for things and we don't understand why they're not changing, we can't see where it is that he's working, that in the midst of it, we are sure and confident that he is good and that he loves us, that he is powerful and he is for us. And so we can keep on trusting. Trusting that while we're Asking for what we think is bread. We think it's something good. And so we don't understand why, God, are you holding off? Why are you not answering this prayer? Why are you not giving it to me? That God in his infinite wisdom knows that what we think is good is actually a scorpion. And that giving giving us what it is that we're asking for is actually going to do us harm. Trusting that He is at work, even though we can't see it for our good and for His glory. And I can't give you answers as to why, why God has healed that person and not this one. And that's hard, isn't it? I can't give you answers as to, to why someone like Kieran was set free of addictions in an instant. And other people battle with it for years. And that's hard, isn't it? And we need to be real about these things and we need to be honest about them. But in the midst of it, what I can tell you is that God loves you. What I can tell you is that he responds to your prayer and he invites you to come to him. What I can tell you is that he is at work for your good and you can trust him. Now, I believe that that God wants to do great things in your life. And he wants to do great things through this church. But he is looking to us to ask him for them. To pray desperately, boldly, persistently, and trustingly. You know, this is part of why the weeks of prayer and fasting are so important. I want to encourage you to get involved in them because as we fast, it it helps to bring prayer into focus. And when we face those hunger pangs or that pull to, to whatever it is that we've given up, it's a reminder in that moment, uh, actually, my hunger, my need, my pull, my desperation is for you, God, that you would move, that you would work. You look to be persistent in, in prayer. You know, Philip uh, mentioned about writing things down, but, and uh, things have their uh, pros and cons, but I want to encourage you. I, if I don't write something down, I am going to forget it. And so if I want to be persistent, I need to write it down. And then I can see when, some, and the other thing is that sometimes I don't write things down and I pray for them, and then God answers it, and I don't even spot the fact that he's answered it because I forgot the fact that I prayed for it. And so when I write it down, it helps me to remember what it is that I'm praying for. So then when I see God answer, I can thank him and praise him and honor him and give him the glory for it. So if you want to be persistent, write things down. And we're going to come to communion in a moment. And, you know, this is an amazing time when we are able to celebrate. We are able to celebrate God and how he puts his love into action for us to meet our greatest need. And it's a great reminder that in the midst of all of the things that we ask God for, none of them compare to what he's already given. In giving his son, Jesus, to die in our place, that we could be forgiven, that we could be set free, that we could have relationship with him, that we could have hope that is sure, that we could have life in him for eternity. Nothing you're asking for compares to that. And so we can have questions and we can be confused. We cannot understand. But as we look to Jesus, as we celebrate him, it brings us back to that place of trust. Because we can see God meeting the greatest need we ever had and ever will have. We see how amazing God is and how he's at work for our good. And it stirs us again in faith so that we can keep going. So that we can keep asking. So that we can be persistent and bold and desperate and trusting. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and they're going to lead us as we come into, into communion. But I want to encourage you as we come into communion. There might be things that are on your heart that you want to ask Jesus for. And you want to bring them to him. And the things that He maybe you've been praying for years ago and you stopped. Because you just kind of gave up. And God has just pulled it back on your heart and he's saying, come to me. Keep going, keep asking, don't give up. There might be in this time there's things you want to ask Jesus for, but more than anything in this time, what I want to encourage you to do is to come back to Jesus and simply say, Jesus, thank you. And Jesus, I trust you. I don't understand. I don't know why this happened or that happened. I don't understand why this is still ongoing, even though I keep asking, but Jesus, thank you. And I trust you. So Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that the way that that demonstrates the lengths that you're willing to go to because of your love for us Jesus, that your heart is so for us. You so want to give us good things that you're willing to give us good things even when it costs you. Even when there's pain involved for you. Even when it means humbling yourself and and, and leaving the glories of heaven to become like us. And Lord, if, if that's the extent of your heart for us, that's your way you love us, that you would willing to meet our needs, that you want to give us good things to that extent. God, I pray that you would capture our hearts with that. Lord, not only that we would, we would just have that thankfulness and that gratefulness, but you would capture our hearts with how much we can trust you and how much we can come to you knowing that you have good things for us, knowing that you want to work in our lives, knowing that you want to set us free, knowing that you want to bring healing, knowing that you, that you want to, to work in the lives of our loved ones to draw them to you. God, stir us up in trust of you and faith in you that we would grow as people of prayer and we would come to you and we would ask with that shameless audacity knowing that you are for us. We honor you, Jesus, and we thank you for your love. We don't deserve it and we are so grateful for it.
1: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.